Welcome to the Friday Chillout. This week we talked about what we expect to see at MWC 2023, as well as what we think about Apple's upcoming non-invasive blood glucose monitor and more. This podcast is 100% funded by Nebula subscribers, who also get the show a day early and with an optional video version as well. If you'd like to support the show and get early access, go to nebula.tv slash chillout. Hey there, taping this Friday chillout. Just after 1pm as Martin and I play around with a new setup yet again, uh, I'm Tristan, your co-host and writer-researcher guy for the Friday Checkout, and you're Martin. Welcome, Martin. Hello, I'm Martin from Tech Altar, the Friday Checkout, the Friday Chillout. A new uh, setup is uh, we're using a new tool called Riverside for video capture, so let us know how it looks if you're watching the video podcast, that is. Yeah, absolutely, Martin. Let's hope it works well. Um uh, let's hit the ground running, as always. Uh, we'll start with MWC 2023 in Barcelona, uh, one of Europe's big tech events uh, that the sort of, the world does attend. Um, less of a c- consumer trade show with lots of like global network, cellular, telecoms kind of stuff happening. But um, media is on the ground. Uh, a bunch of my ex-colleagues uh, are there. And uh, the experience at MWC is you go to a bunch of media briefings uh, pretty much before the show. So the Friday, the Saturday, the Sunday. Uh, which so there's no real time off in Barcelona uh, until the show starts, and then on by about day two or three, you finish with everything interesting, and you're sort of hunting around and like maybe got some time to go to the beach. Maybe I specifically remember being a small YouTuber going to MWC at first, and it's really disheartening because the show opens uh, on whatever on a Monday, and then everyone has already covered everything by the time you're allowed to even go into the show. Because everything, all the pre-briefings always happen outside of the show and there's nothing new anymore, except for like minor stuff. But yeah, 75,000 people are going to be attending this year. That's much less than they used to have in the past. I think trade shows in general are all in decline. People don't have to go to places uh, anymore to actually see the products. The products come to them. Uh, but yeah, it's it's still a, a pretty major event. Uh, this is the event where the in the past announced like really major flagships from Samsung and all the other manufacturers. This year, we still have a pretty interesting lineup of products anyway. Uh, what what do we have, Tristan? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, just talking about that, Huawei apparently said this will be Huawei's largest year at MWC. So, uh, I mean, that's, that seems like a big deal. I, I find that very confusing. <laughs> that is a bold statement. I, I think I cannot imagine how that could be true. Yeah, we'll find out. Um, uh, I don't actually know if we're expecting a new uh, Huawei phone, but um, last year there was a bunch of uh, um, uh, PCs, tablets, and I think they had their e-ink device. Uh, that was the first time it appeared, which you reviewed. Uh, the Was it the yeah. MatePad? The MatePad e-ink? Yeah, MatePad yeah. paper. Paper, that's right, yes. Uh, but uh, in terms of phones, we sort of pretty much know we're going we're gonna to see. Um, Honor will have a foldable Um Xiaomi's going to launch the Xiaomi 13 series, uh, and we there's a Leica event uh, sort of tied in with this, so we're kind of expecting uh-huh. an ultra device with a Leica uh, setup. Camera uh, focus. Yeah, and Realme as well. So, but but the thing is, that all, all these have already launched in China, so we're not exactly going to be surprised, other than pricing and availability. So, um, what what's caught your eye out of that little lineup, um, or anything else? Yeah, I mean, uh, so Honor coming to Europe with a foldable is kind of the closest thing to being able to buy a Huawei foldable again because they're essentially still somehow sharing a lot of IP and technology and stuff. Um, so they're, um, I think it's called a VS or whatever. Uh, 
it's it's a pretty good device if you want to follow the ball and you don't want it from Samsung. This is one of your uh, uh, only options in Europe. I don't know if a lot of people buy Honor in Europe anymore these days, uh, or or even just uh, globally because it's also going to be coming to other markets as well. Um, but yeah, that, that's Honor. Xiaomi sounds good. Uh, there's a big influencer event for Leica happening right now in Germany. You can see all your favorite tech YouTubers tweeting about it. So I assume that that's for Xiaomi because they're going to be launching their Leica branded phone in a, a couple of days. Uh, that's probably like a pre-event for influencers. So you're big my, focus on the my cameras. Favorite, you're my favorite tech YouTuber. Why aren't you there, there we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, was, I was not even divided. Rude. But yeah, I mean, I, I I don't really do that much device coverage, so it kind of makes sense. I wouldn't have gone for <laughs> for like a random Xiaomi 13 event. Um, and it's it's like at the Leica ha- headquarters, so it, it, people actually have to like fly out to wherever. Um, oh, okay, yeah, I wonder where that is. I, I don't actually know off the top of my head. I'm going to research while you talk. Yeah, it's somewhere in Germany. It's like a big industrial park. Um, so yeah, that's happening. Uh, the Xiaomi 13 series itself looks pretty good. Like it seems like this regular year-over-year upgrade. There, there isn't anything like ridiculously surprising about it. Um, and then the Realme phone has 240 watt uh, fast charging. Um, so that's the first time that technology is going to come to Europe, as far as I know, and like to most of the world outside of China. There's a few competitors who do similar speeds in China already, but you'll be able to charge this phone in under 10 minutes zero to 100 and it's a pretty big battery as well so that that is that is kind of insane that like, is something. Uh, that is that is actually something yeah it, it does it does always feel like every time you make this jump the old tech seems just fine like 30 minutes 50 minute charging to me already seems like kind of like just mediocre at this point <laughs> uh, but yeah 10 minutes is pretty bonkers you just plug it in and you can you can go yeah yeah absolutely and uh, no i uh Anytime I charge my phone, it's like more than 18 watts. I'm very surprised at how fast it is. So uh, give me that you're, you're still You're still stuck in the olden days. And <laughs> yeah. this is the, the uh, Opal battery tech that uh, they actually promise will have um, 1,600 cycles. Uh, so that's double the industry average for battery longevity. So they actually promise that you'll be able to get this insane fast charging speed and have better longevity than uh, other phones. Um, Again, we'll we'll have to wait and see if that's actually true, but uh, uh, they're quite confidently claiming that it's true, so it's really exciting. Let's see it. Let's see it. Uh, okay, for completeness, I looked up where Leica is. It's in this. It's in a. It's in the middle of nowhere at a place called Wetzlar, yeah. uh, in like the middle of Germany, sort of north of Frankfurt. And this is a, this is like a German thing, you know. Uh, like Leica's in the middle of nowhere. Um, Zeiss is based in Jena, which is in sort of East right. Germany somewhere. Uh, they just have towns devoted to, uh, you know, there's Volkswagen in uh, Wolfsburg, and that's that's right. the only reason that town exists. So, yeah, good good times, good times in um, The country Germany. is extremely decentralized, yeah, and you have, it's actually, I actually think this is a super healthy thing for a country and their economy, mm. because uh, I come from a country where everything is centralized. Budapest is kind of like the end-all and be-all of most industries. Now, of course, there's industrial pockets here and there, but it's a very, very uh, uh, centralized country. And I think uh, the fact that wealth is distributed across the country and opportunities are distributed across the country, um, that actually creates a lot of healthy dynamics uh, here in Germany. So I think it's I think it's cool. All right. That was a good soapbox moment. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it, I think if you come to Berlin, sometimes you can be very frustrated by not realizing there's not much here. <laughs> like, well, 
company company wise or like company wise company wise yeah you 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 you're surprised when there's simply no com- major companies sort of using berlin as their hq i, I say none there's obviously some but anyway i, I want to get to uh the nubia pad 3d which we haven't mentioned uh nubia always you know this is like the zte offshoot um nubia like to come to trade shows with something it doesn't yeah. matter if you can buy it or not they like to show something off and um they usually have a device that attracts attention so this is the Nubia Pad 3D, which is, according to this tweet that, that sort of launched it, the world's first AI-powered eyewear-free 3D tablet, which, Martin, will unlock new digital experiences in 3D chat, photography, and video- videography, and gaming. So, uh, I, I'm i prepared to be whelmed. Not overwhelmed. <laughs> just not whelmed. Underwhelmed, just whelmed. Just be like, mm-hmm. I'm prepared to be underwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I don't know, like, I, I, my expectations are already so low, maybe I won't be underwhelmed. But, yeah. yeah there's this whole new wave of new uh, glasses-free 3D uh, devices, like, you can buy an Asus computer and whatever, with an Asus or an Acer, who cares, is it? Is it? Uh, that has that has this, um, I don't know. Does anybody yeah. care? I mean, probably not. It probably won't may do anything, but it might be cool to see. So, there's yeah. something for the trade show attendees. I would try. Uh, oh, and speaking of Acer, by the way, I saw they launched a scooter, so they're taking on Xiaomi in um, in uh, little electric scooters. So uh, good for them. Give me one of those, absolutely. We will review those, Acer. Don't worry. <laughs> Any day ahead of uh, a three D tablets. <laughs> okay. Uh, so MWC next week. Lots to look forward to. Uh, Monday and Tuesday should be the big days. Um, I want to move over to uh, probably the most interesting news to me this week, which was. Uh, related to Apple, um, and it was the focus on non-invasive blood glucose glucose monitoring that uh, Bloomberg reported on. So, Mark Gurman doing uh, what he does, which is um, uh, detail some some stuff that we haven't heard of. So, Apple actually set up a, a fake startup, um, has had a bunch of engineers working on a uh, non-invasive blood glucose monitor. So, for anyone who doesn't know what that is, that's literally something that like. Uh, basically saying uh, an Apple Watch at some point will be able to sit on your skin and tell you what your blood sugar levels are. Um, Martin, I'm keen to talk about this because I am a type 1 diabetic. As you know from uh, random alarms, I, always, I had an alarm go through before. I don't know if that's going to make we, it through to the final We literally cut. had to uh, restart the podcast because yeah, the okay. alarm went off exactly. at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, and um, I wear an invasive blue blood glucose sensor uh, which isn't a big deal but it's strapped onto my arm uh, and it lasts two weeks and it tells me uh, all throughout the day what my what my blood sugar is um, and that's been an upgrade from finger pricking uh, where you have yeah. to actually get a drop of blood out of your finger and then put it onto a little machine and it would take uh, half a minute and you'd bleed and it'd be a whole thing so yeah um, so this one still like pricks your skin and it's like a little needle that goes into your the one on my arm yeah yep yeah uh, yep. and it's really good but uh it's clearly you know if accuracy actually isn't all that important like i don't care if the number it tells me is within 10 percent. it's all about the trend line it's knowing once you've eaten something how how high your blood sugar is rising and and if it's still rising and then uh, if you're exercising or you know you just you're waiting for lunch you want to know how low you're going uh while you wait for your next food hit so um i I realize i'm i'm a very knowledgeable diabetic I don't know if anyone else has any idea what I'm talking about. So what do you want to know? Or like, where should I start? Uh, Because there's a little bit of interesting stuff around here. And of course, this story has an Apple 
tone and everyone's like, wow, give me that at Apple Watch. But we've talked about this before with Samsung. We've, there's been a Japanese company do it at CES. So so other companies have tr are trying to do this as well, is what you're saying? Exactly, exactly. There's quite a bit of competition. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of these companies are looking to be acquired or at least have their IP yeah. acquired. So um, That's a classic thing, right? Like you, you develop a technology and then instead of trying to fight Apple over it, you just let Apple buy you. Or Samsung. Yeah, yeah. So uh, one company, um, which I'll get to in a second, uh, talked about how they had a tier one, uh, you know, um, tier one company interest sort of thing, taking on one of their yeah. prototypes, which is the kind of thing you tell investors, be like, we have one of the Samsung's big boys. Samsung's looking at us. Exactly, exactly. So yeah. um, uh, just, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of just talk about it briefly, but um, so Samsung has talked about for a long time. Uh, and even like made a blog post about it, so they haven't been um, shy about talking about this. But they're basically a non-invasive technique for blood glu glucose monitoring. Uh, it was using a method called Raman spectroscopy. Spectros spec easy for me to say, spectroscopy. <laughs> Raman? Like the noodles? Uh, so Raman, which is uh, R-A-M-A-N, and more related to like a maths okay. technique, I guess. Um, okay. and, and so... Not yeah, the noodles, God damn no. it. <laughs> so, it is lunchtime. I get why you're hungry. Um, the process uses lasers to identify chemical uh. composition. Um, and uh, it demonstrates, you know, sort of like pretty high accuracy. But it uses lasers. So these things are not uh -huh. tiny. Um, a similar sort of patented device was, was presented at CES by a Japanese startup named Quantum Operations. It would apparently give out a blood sugar reading in about 20 seconds. The catch was... Uh, a lot of people were interested in that and they put up a photo of what looked like a chunky, gross, very unattractive device, but obviously something you could wear on your wrist and get yep. get this. Uh, but that was just a prototype and they're hoping someone would get that. So um, no one, I, I think this is a CES when there was no, when no one attended. So you couldn't actually, no, I don't think anyone went on, went over and put, actually put it on. <sighs> so the point is, I'm not sure where that's at. Um, but it's funny that Samsung sort of talked about you know there's some hints that its smartwatch may have this in future everyone was like okay cool apple's talking about it everyone's like hands down this is it this is this, <laughs> this is, is always this is always the case this is always the kid because i mean and partially deservedly so because partially apple has a history of like rolling out a feature when it is like not always but when it is ready for mass uh consumption and when it works well enough and whatever and samsung will just slap a heart rate monitor into their phone behind behind next to the camera. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's like, okay, well, yeah. technically works, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so the trick would be... How, how does it work? How does it work? So like, um, so it puts, it shines lasers onto your skin. And then what, do you know what it looks for? Because uh, I guess you already have on an Apple Watch or, or, or a Samsung Watch or whatever, you already have lights shining at you and then i guess those look for your pulse like your heart rate so like changes in brightness as you, as more or less blood flows through your veins i suppose so do you have any idea what this blood glucose thing would be looking for uh this is sort of where it gets it goes from like being like a, a casual conversation to like quite detailed um <laughs> uh so and, and you start to get into me medical terminology where, you know, so Samsung said in its blog post that Samsung Research has developed an off-axis Raman spectroscopy system that enables the direct observation of glucose Raman peaks from in vivo skin. So 
Yeah, I already don't really know what they're talking about. Okay, um, so the but, answer is we don't know. <laughs> no, that's right. But the but the point is, you need hardware. This is not a software yeah. problem. You need lasers. You need lenses. You need chips. You need processing power. Yeah. Yeah. An Apple yeah. Watch is already full of that stuff. Yeah. So packing, you generally you you would have to pack more in, and that's not going to be easy. So that's that's a big problem. Would I wear an Apple Watch that was just devoted to blood glucose monitoring and almost nothing else? Yeah, sure. But you know, that's not what they're going for, I suppose. So. You um, mean you, you'd wear like a dedicated device? Uh, yeah, like that. It tells the time and and tell. And yeah, that's it. You know, yeah. and, and obviously yeah. the blood glucose stuff. So, um, yeah, yeah, it would be it would be a game changer if it was accurate. Um, you you might also remember Google was looking at a, a contact lens. Um, mm-hmm. So, but it paused that back in 2018. I think I think it gave up on the idea. Um, yeah, it's it's real. I think. I think the, the part of the problem is you do have to be accurate enough. Like I said, accuracy, definite accuracy doesn't matter too much, but you have to be in the ballpark and yep. uh, you want something that lasts, uh, you know, has a decent battery life, uh, is reliable. And um, even that Japanese device that takes 20 seconds to give you a reading is probably barely good enough because it's, a yep. pain, you know, the one I'm wearing on my arm right now just works all the time. So, um, yeah. Anyway, there's a, there's a lot there. I, I really don't know if I've unpacked that very well because I I know too much and I don't know how to explain it all. But uh, it, the the idea is it's not just Apple, but if yeah. Apple do do it, it does sort of elevate the whole thing. Um, sure. To, to into people's consciousness. The, the, the yeah. question is then, um, does Apple wanting to put it into an Apple Watch does it benefit them or does that hinder them? Because uh, I could imagine that for somebody else who doesn't have the constraint, like for it to go into the Apple Watch, it has to be really miniaturized. It has to be really efficient. It can't eat up too much battery life. It can't have uh, any other uh, problems. It can't create any other problems for the Apple Watch as a product. So they have to like really nail the product before it can go into the Apple Watch. Whereas somebody, as you said, could probably release like a dedicated armband that does this, that is like maybe the size of an Apple Watch, but only does that. And, um, you know, you don't care. Maybe you can charge it every night or like, I don't, yeah, it has to be on at night as well. Or like, how do you, how do you do it? Yeah. You'd wear it all night. You'd wear it all day. Um, uh-huh. you could take it off to charge, but you wouldn't really want to have it off for more than like 15 minutes at a time. I think. Um, so how, how would that work with an Apple Watch then? Uh, Cause you have no, to these, take it off to charge. These are all good questions. And I kind of wanted to talk about this in terms of not solving any of these problems, but I think Apple are doing it because it's a, it was a Steve Jobs project, wow. and and the the reverence for Steve Jobs has never really gone away wow. uh, from Apple, and you know deservedly so. I, I so Steve Jobs wanted this, and that's probably the reason that Apple is spending you know something like a hundred, hundreds of millions on on trying to make it happen. Um, obviously, it's a good idea to to turn your when the when the Apple Watch went from being like a you know a notification device to being a health device that that sort of elevated its importance by a lot, ah. but, and so I think following that path kind of makes sense, and I think Steve Jobs's stamp of approval or desire for this is definitely yeah. a factor as well. So, well, it's a it's a worthy call. Do you know how many diabetics there are in the world? Like, is there do you have like an idea of percentages uh, or? So yeah, I think in the US the number is like one in ten. So that includes type one, mm-hmm. who, which is right. um, uh, like an autoimmune problem, and then type two. Which isn't necessarily the case, but is often related to diet and exercise. Um, yeah, well, where... it's a big enough percentage to be worthy of a major investment for sure. No, that's right. And a lot of people, I've been surprised by the number of people who buy uh, their sensor just because they're health nuts and they want to know exactly their blood sugars and right. how that affects them as a train or like as they oh. diet or exercise. So, so like uh, people would use it for non. 
oh, there's diabetes. A, there's a big marketing campaign that could roll out and be like, you need to be aware of your blood sugar because this will ah. help you sleep better and be more handsome and you know, all this kind of stuff. So, um, oh yeah, my god, I, could, I have I have uh, uh, friends in the YouTube, medical YouTube community like uh, MedLife yeah. Crisis, uh, Doctor Rowan, who's uh, pain. He's keeps complaining that people are like overanalyzing themselves and like ah. we're turning every like health metric into <laughs> some like uh you know number to be optimized so i can i can see him being very happy about this if it ever rolls up <laughs> yeah yeah no that is a that is really interesting like the quant quant uh quant I, why can't i talk to that what what is what Quantified is the quantified self no thank i you. think it's thank you Th that's yeah that's part of it i think uh yeah okay Enough on that, but anyone who's more interested, um, I, I could talk about this topic a million for, for a long time. So tweet, if you want to tweet Tristan or write him on Discord. <laughs> or if you want, if you want me to write a, a, an episode of something Martin makes, uh, we could do that as well. But anyway, yep. um, uh, you also wanted this week to talk about Samsung um, because of, uh, in, in terms of smartphones. So Counterpoint had some data, um, and. Uh, Basically, what you wrote to me when you looked at uh, one chart was that you found it kind of wild that Samsung and Apple were both maintaining their positions while the Chinese uh, smartphone makers were were like crumbling, and that's completely the opposite of what we would have thought just a few years ago, where uh, yeah. Chinese players were coming up in the world and and really snapping at the heels of uh, Samsung and Apple, who weren't doing enough. Uh, so, where are you seeing that, and and what do you want to talk about? Yeah, so uh, the specific chart that prompted me to uh, talk about this is um, a chart from CounterPoint uh, Research that talks about smartphone shipments in Southeast Asia. This was kind uh -huh. of the trigger. Uh -huh. uh, that one shows that Samsung is back to being the number one. Uh, basically, all the Chinese uh, players, Oppo, Xiaomi, Vivo, Realme, have all uh, gone down in the region, and only Samsung and Apple have um, had steady, market, or steady uh, sales. Um, in other regions, the uh, picture is a little bit more mixed. Uh, so in Sam in Europe, um, last quarter, Samsung basically maintained market share while the others uh, were kind of fluctuating. But in India, uh, they're back to 20% again. Uh, they, for a long time, had very uh, definitely fallen behind Xiaomi as a very clear number two. Uh -huh. Now they're back in the kind of number one position or like somewhere, somewhere floating around uh, one and two. And and just globally as well, if if uh, I've been looking at these numbers, um, and it's pretty clear to see that they're somewhere in the stable to slightly growing uh, area again, right. which I found interesting. That it, it's not a slam dunk, so it's not like you know suddenly Samsung is like on an incredible rise. But what I found interesting is that this has been a, a, a thing for a, like a year now, at least a year, maybe even more, and. Um, there's obviously multiple factors, but it's clear to me that Samsung, which was on a very steady decline uh, in terms of losing the smartphone markets to multiple Chinese brands, very specifically Huawei was eating their lunch extremely obviously, but then also Xiaomi and Oppo uh, yep. and all the BBK brands uh, as well. Um, and they managed to stabilize this. I mean, the whole market is in a collapse, so everyone's losing sales, uh, except maybe a little bit Apple. Uh, but uh, so everyone's doing poorly. Yeah. But I feel I feel uh, that it's interesting to say that Samsung has kind of managed to stop their collapse. Yeah, exploring that actually sounds like a, a Tech Altar episode. Um, like, how did Samsung? Um, 
Yeah, even like with foldables, perhaps with uh, with the removal of the note as a factor, like just sticking with the S. But was it just the A series just being getting a more wood behind those arrows? I don't, I don't want to dig into dig into it because we'll be here for another hour. But uh, the yep. reasons why I think are really interesting, and I think could be uh, could be pretty good stuff. I think I'm just gonna like very very briefly say like the off the top of it. my head. Go for it. I think one, Huawei being gone is obviously a huge opportunity in many markets, and yep. it, it's, it's a gift that keeps on giving. Um, and I think Huawei being gone gave Samsung the confidence to double down on a smartphone market again. Because if you have an extremely strong competitor that you have to fight on that is willing to outspend you and willing to out-innovate you, um, then the whole market becomes way less attractive to you. And, and I think um, for multiple years... I even made a video about this that I think Samsung was yeah. essentially letting Huawei win or saying that like we'll try to compete and, and uh, sell as many phones as we can but we're not going to try to beat Huawei at this because they're willing to go crazy over everything. Yeah. Uh, so Huawei this like insanely aggressive uh, uh, innovator which they were um, they're gone and that leaves Samsung with like confidence and room to invest again. Um, obviously I think they're uh, they made some correct choices like the fold doubling down on the fold or uh-huh. uh, uh skipping the note and merging it with the s series the a series is doing reasonably well for them etc so good choices in general um supply chain problems for chinese brands and their um the whole collapse of the chinese market is over proportionally bad for them etc so i think i think it's a combination of those very good thank you for that so let's keep moving and get to the mailbag Right. Uh, where we, but mostly you answer questions or thoughts for readers. Uh, we had thoughts, questions and thoughts from readers on Twitter, Discord, and Mastodon. So thank you for all of those. Um, and we've cut them down to four questions here. So let's see if we can get through, the, get to them all this week. Um, so Martin, someone writes, uh, if you were to launch a new smartphone company like nothing, what would you make different and what would be your USP? I would not. <laughs> the the answer is that you like I don't I think it's a very questionable uh, idea to launch a smartphone company now. Um, I think Carl Pay was probably the only person in the whole world who could pull it off, just because of the unique constellation of OnePlus being in the weird position yep. that they are, yeah, and this whole user base existing that wanted to go somewhere else. Um, and it wanted to have like a new hero to look up to or like a new brand to uh, get excited about. Um, so he was in this position, but I think the the total addressable market from there is still very small. I think they've addressed it and that market is saturated. I, I don't think, I really don't think, this is a declining market very clearly. The competition is uh, increasingly strong. There's consolidation everywhere. Uh, in the market, so uh, just don't don't even think about starting a new phone company. <laughs> okay. That's the answer. Can I can I disagree with you? I'd have to, I'd have to really think about what yeah. what I would do. Uh, Go ahead. I think I think there is a, a non Chinese phone to be made potentially uh, because the, because the US market uh, is is sitting right there, but it's the US market is so hard to crack. It seems impossible. Um, with the weight yeah. of Apple and Samsung and carriers of support and so on. Um, I mean, that was supposed to be like Nokia and nothing. These are all technically Western brands. Uh, sure. At least, at least the idea behind them and like 
some of the execution. Um, do I think a Tesla smartphone could work? Maybe. I, I, I do think that's one of the options. I, it, I just don't know if Elon Musk's brand is good enough for, for people to, to embrace a smartphone from, from I think that. I think Microsoft has a chance at doing a, a good phone. Uh, I think they Martin, have enough. Mart, what are you talking about? The surface was horrible. The yeah, Surface Duo. No, no, no. I, I think they. So the Surface Duo as a form factor was horrible, but I think uh, they have the hardware uh, background to make, like, to engineer good hardware products. Uh, I think they've collected enough experience on the Surface to be able to uh, manage Android software. I think they have like a very decent uh, um, app selection and services uh, selection and everything. And so if they manage to choose a form factor that makes more sense, I don't think I don't think it's impossible. We're just going to get a hundred emails and angry about Windows phones and Nokia and yeah, yeah. Just put live tiles on everything. <laughs> okay, uh, we're actually sticking with nothing into the next question. Uh, do you think the Nothing Phone Two will continue with the glyph and the transparent design, or move on to something else? I'm very nothingy this week. Um, yeah, probably some, that, that's definitely an upgrade or like, or like a, an update to the design, I would imagine. Uh, but this is like their main gimmick. So, uh, I would be very surprised if they dropped it the next year. Yep. Nothing more to add. I, I expect something different. I expect. What I hope, what I hope is that they go more transparent because like, I always found that the concept that the nothing phone and the nothing earbuds are transparent is kind of a lie. Like it's, you have a transparent outer case, but then you have essentially a plastic protection cover inside that outer case anyway. So you don't actually see any of the components, uh, like not, not many, but honestly, the the components are boring. Like they don't do anything. Yeah. Fair enough. But then, so so then like the whole idea feels a bit, (laughs) whatever. It is a bit, yeah, it's a bit tricky. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Uh, we, we never get through these questions if I start to launch into go, go ahead no, no. so uh, okay someone asks how do you view the bans and proposed bans on TikTok like the one from the European Commission for its staff so that was a story this week um, uh, I think the first time the EU has, has said um, we're, we're, we're limiting TikTok so this has happened in the US I think India largely banned TikTok for its government as well so uh, how do you view it so I actually had a bit of a kind of like a framework for the Huawei ban when uh, that was first announced. And I think I, my my thinking is still the same as it was back then, which is that if you view China as a strategic threat uh, and you claim that companies that come out of China have a relationship with the Chinese uh, leadership, then uh, it, I think it is reasonable to say that uh, there is some uh, level of threat coming out of these apps. Um, so, uh, or, or, or back in the case of Huawei, it was, the, from their smartphones, for example. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I think it is reasonable to say that government employees, uh, as they are, um, they have sensitive information that, uh, is not theirs to give away. They're not private citizens. Uh, they're, they're there on behalf of, um, uh, they the people who elected them. Their data is very important. It it should not go to uh, um, uh, any, you know, strategic adversary uh, in any way. So it's a risk. You can ban it. And it's not like you have to have TikTok on your work phone <laughs> as a European Union uh, Parliament member. Like it's a big. You'll survive. Like you can have a private phone still 
uh, and and do whatever you want. Like that's part of the rules, right? Yeah, yeah. I think there's some argument that you know you actually want your European Commission staff on TikTok making TikToks to explain to this you know this other generation who who get most of their news from TikTok uh, as to what's going on. But again, that can be a little bit of a a uh, a geofenced um, device that doesn't necessarily yeah. have to. You can the move, or something. You can move that app somewhere outside of like your regular work emails carrying Maybe. device. Yeah, you can you can make the TikTok in your Mercedes E class as we talk about in the Friday checkout. Uh, there we week. go. There we go. Okay, last question, which neither of us can answer, uh, but we maybe have an answer within a few weeks. Thoughts on Artifact, the personalized news app founded by Instagram's co-founders that's now out. You can download it. I have downloaded it, and I've started messing about with it. And what do you think? Did you... Give me me your thoughts first, since you've used it. Too early. Too early to tell. I really... Like, I've got a... I've got a full you stream of um, of articles. Uh, I just pressed new articles to see what's coming up, and there's a bunch of stuff that I would normally see in my Google feed uh. of stories. Um, I can't grade it in any sort of way yet. Um, and it looks fine. There is there is a, a reads count, which I find interesting. Like, is yeah. that just within the app? Um, and how does that affect anything? Um, so, seems okay. Don't know how I feel about it yet. So, uh, I have two thoughts. One, okay. So, just to explain to to uh, uh, viewers or listeners always, first, always useful. Yeah. So, this is an app that the founder of Instagram has put out. It is a news aggregation app. So, it picks all the news from all the news sources. It's text, so written news, and it's an AI generated feed that it creates for you based on your interests and based on whatever you interact with and so on. Um, so first of all, I don't understand how this is supposed to be that new. Like, I feel like every news aggregator app does some version of this. Uh, Google feed does this. The Microsoft news app does this. Um, maybe the answer is it has better AI. That's the, that's all it needs to have. Um, (laughs) Or it uses open AI or like, I don't know, like some, but, yep. but, but for now, in terms of functionality, I don't find anything, um, new in it. The really interesting angle is, so he, uh, specifically pitched this app saying that, um, he looked at TikTok and how, uh, uh, incredible TikTok is because they don't let you choose, like they don't make you choose what you want to watch, unlike YouTube where you have to like search and specifically click on videos or whatever, but because it like actively feeds you and then uh, uh-huh. it's only only machine-based. It's You don't really follow people. You can follow people, but the point is not to like specifically follow channels, but it's really just recommendation-based, the whole thing. And so uh, he was like, why doesn't that work for news? Like that, if, you, if you have that for video uh, formats, why not also text? and news this was his original pitch do you know tristan what tiktok's parent company started with what their first successful app was uh i i remember musically before tiktok they bought musically uh the company i don't know yeah tell me they started their first real success successful app is one called totiao which is a Chinese, it's basically this exact thing just in China oh. seven years ago. <laughs> like they <laughs> have like, I don't know, back in last time <laughs> I checked, they had like 200 million users. Huh. It's a big business. It's like AI recommended news. This was there way before they even started TikTok. Mm. So I find it funny that 
this is like a like a full circle in a sense. Like, yeah, Tokyo figured out first that they can really lean heavily into the AI recommendation for use. Okay, so you and think this is it? From, you think this is happening here? From there, an, they went into uh, what if we did this for videos? Yeah, and then that arrived to the West, and then we went back to what if we did that for news? <laughs> so, okay, so so the one thing that it's telling me here is I have to read twenty five articles in a two week period uh, to get a better personalized feed. So, uh, um, no, just scrolling the headlines, you actually have to click and open. <laughs> uh, and then once you do that, you get some stats about your categories and publishers. Um, so maybe maybe there's enough gamification there to to make it happen. Um, Martin, we have to get moving. So uh, we actually always end the podcast uh, with trivia slash fact corner, where I throw a number at you and we see where the conversation goes. The conversation usually goes into a lot of talk. So uh, we have to keep it a little bit limited, uh, lest we go over time, but... This time, it the number numbers are forty apps and eighty percent, and you may be able to guess this one because we talked about it a little bit. I I sounds familiar, but I forget. Tell me. Yeah, no worries. So this is a Mozilla study that came out uh, this week, um, and it sort of had a crack at Google about misleading privacy labels on Android apps, um, and they've just. The very brief details are, so Mozilla looked at 40 of the most downloaded Android apps. Uh, it said 80% of them had discrepancies between their privacy policies and the um, the information listed on Google Play's data safety section. And it's kind of it's kind of like very obvious stuff. So for example, uh, data safety labels state that apps like Twitter and TikTok don't share data with third parties. And that's obviously completely untrue. Um, and that was actually a quote from from one of the Mozilla people. So, and Google sort of says, oh, Mozilla's grading system isn't actually uh, working well here, um, yeah. and it's it's conflating some some sort of different uh, bits and pieces. And Mozilla's assigning apps like the arbitrary grades that Mozilla has decided some of these apps are like it's graded some of them as poor or needs improvement or okay. Um, but it, well, I think what Mozilla pointed out is like very obviously a problem which is that people that all these companies just self-report what Isn't? what labels they want to have on their apps and uh i think Mozilla pointed out that one of the top 20 apps uh uc browser didn't even file a report <laughs> it just yeah. it just didn't declare what uh uh yeah. how they use uh, your data and what they do with it and what the privacy labels are so that's that's pretty crazy Right, and I guess so. There's one other element to this, which is: uh, Does this make you trust Mozilla more? Do you totally believe Mozilla over Google? Um, are you more like more likely to use Firefox? Um, do you feel like Mozilla's looking out for you, uh, transparency-wise, and so on? General, generally, yes. I think I think Mozilla's incentives are pretty clearly aligned. Um, so I'm I'm happy to trust them. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't. I, it does. It gives me a nice fuzzy feeling about Mozilla. So maybe that's the maybe that's I the just, point. Here. I just wished they did less. Um, well, this is fine. Like you know, pointing out that the other mm-hmm, companies mm-hmm. are wrong. But I just wish they spend more time or money, or were just better at uh, being a successful company delivering solutions <laughs> of their own. Um, so I could stop using Google services and I could start using uh, Mozilla services instead. I use the Firefox browser, but fun fact. The new uh, video recording tool that we use, Riverside, only works in Chrome or Chromium browsers. So, like, cool. <laughs> uh, okay. Just, 
be better at developing products, Mozilla. Should there be a Mozilla smartphone? <laughs> no. <laughs> I've I've made I think three videos about Firefox OS related stuff, so the answer is definitely no. All right. That is a wrap from us. Uh, so, Martin, thanks for your thoughts, as always. Uh, Martin is at TechAltar on the Friday checkout at YouTube. Um, and on Twitter, TechAltar and Mastodon as well. Uh, I'm also on Twitter, at Tristan Rayner. Uh, thanks for joining. Thanks for watching, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, thanks to Nebula, as always, for being our uh, the only way we monetize this podcast. So, thanks for listening if you are a subscriber through Nebula. Um, And we'll, Martin, catch you next Friday. Indeed. Bye-bye. Bye. To support the podcast, go to nebula.tv slash chillout and get a subscription to Nebula for less than $3 a month.